If you have your Bibles, open it with me to the book of Proverbs. And we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 5, part 2 of the message that we began this morning about a dog returning to its vomit. And how many of you have ever seen your pet uh, start gagging, coughing something up, and then it gags out some vomit? And you're like, yeah, that's disgusting. And then you hear this slurping and slopping, and you turn around and you see your dog eating its own vomit. How, how many of you have, have seen that? The Bible tells us, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. And we're talking here about habitual sin, and let's give it up for Jennifer Marywell also. Thank you, Jennifer. So we're talking about habitual sin and returning to our folly as a fool returns, uh, uh, as, as a dog eats its vomit, so a fool returns to its folly. We're talking about habitual sin, and we all know what it is to stumble into a habitual sin because sin is all around us, because sin is within us. Even if, we, even if we remove ourselves from the sinful influence in this world, what do we have? We have ourselves. And as Paul said, who will deliver me from this body of death? The things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. He struggled with this internal sin. And on top of that, sin is all around us. Sin is within us because we're in a sanctification process looking forward to the day when our spirit departs our body and we're face to face. Then we'll be delivered from the very presence of sin. So not only is sin all around us, and not only is sin within us, but also sin intermingles into all of our good and corrupts. We say, I am going to be pure, so it turns us puritanical. We say, I'm going to be holy, so it makes us holier than thou. We say, I'm going to be humble, so we become proud of our humility. We say, I'm going to be a prayer warrior, and we become a gossip. We say, I'm going to have a strong testimony, and we become fearful about what people think of us. We say, I'm going to serve in ministry, and we get so busy just serving in ministry that we forgot to love the one in whom we are supposed to be serving. And the list goes on and on and on. Sin is all around us. Sin is within us. And sin intermingles into all of our good. And so therefore, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool continually returns to its folly. But this is not the quality of life that Jesus saved us for. Because we read that Jesus said, John chapter 8, It is for freedom that I have set you free. I set you free from the penalty of sin so that you could have power over sin. Jesus said, let me repeat that. It is for freedom that you have been set free. I haven't set you free to live a life of habitual sin, whatever that might be for you. Jesus said, I have set you free to walk in freedom. I have set you free from the penalty of sin so that you can have power and dominion over the power of sin in your life. So, this is part two of the sermon we began this morning on walking in freedom. And I'm going to summarize the sermon from this morning, but I'm going to do it very quickly, very succinctly at the very end. But for now, um, if you have your Bibles in Proverbs chapter 5, we're going to continue to look at the high cost of sin. At the extraordinarily high cost of sin. Because here's the thing. Before we can truly repent of our sin, we have to hate our sin. And the problem is, the reason most people are in a condition of habitual sin, where you sin and you're like, God, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. And you sin and you say, God, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. Same sin, God, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. Same sin, God, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. What number are you on? So you do it again. God, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. This 
Guys, it is what it is. It's addiction. There's some addiction in your life. There's some stronghold in your life. There's some area of your life in which you are not walking in freedom. And Jesus set us free to walk in freedom. He set us free from the penalty of sin so that we would have, by His Spirit, power over sin. But we have to, before we can truly repent of this sin, we have to get to a place where we hate our sin. And so I'm going to expound upon what we, just one of the points from this morning, and this is understanding the high cost of low living. Because in reality, when we do stumble into that habitual sin, we think that it's compartmentalized. We think that uh, this habitual sin is just between me and God, and I got a good relationship, and He gets me, and I get His grace, and so this is just compartmentalized. It's a secret, nobody knows about it. Sin is never compartmentalized. Even the smallest of sins is never compartmentalized. I think a highlight from this morning was the pastor from England and his last sermon, his among 2,500 other pastors' last sermon on August 17, 1662, because they didn't conform to the act of conformity when their theology lined up with the false theology, theology of England, England's government at the time. So that particular day is significant in history because it was their very last sermon. There's a compilation of 24 of these particular pastors' sermons of the 2,500 ministers who were exiled, exiled from their church, exiled from their communities, exiled from their families. 3,000 nonconformists were killed, and one particular pastor, Calamy, he made the statement. He said, don't worry about me, I'm fine. I'm glad to share in the sufferings of Christ. I'm concerned for you. In his last sermon, and he said, a great calamity has been visited upon you. And this is the statement that he made, and it's so profound, so I'm sharing it again tonight. He said, there is more evil in the least sin than the greatest calamity. And later he goes on to make the statement, there is more evil in the least sin than the greatest misery. He understood the high cost of low living. St. Augustine said, If through one lie I could win the entire world's salvation, I wouldn't do it because there is greater evil in the least of sin than good in winning the entire world. He understood the weight, the gravity of sin, the high cost of low living, and the reality that there is more evil in the least sin than in the greatest calamity. There's more evil in the least sin than the greatest misery. So often... Church, we are so concerned about our misery, we are so concerned about our calamity, but we are so tolerant and we are so indifferent about our sin that we've compartmentalized and keep a secret and think that it's not a big deal. St. Augustine also said, if I had the choice to willingly lie or go to hell, I would go to hell because, again, there is more, there is more um, evil in the least sin 
than the greatest calamity and the greatest evil. Church, we understand that our church is fueled by prayer. I mean, there is power in prayer. It's modeled in the early church that, that when they were in trouble, they prayed. When they were afraid, they prayed. When they were distressed, they prayed. When they didn't know what to do, they prayed. When they needed power, they prayed. When they needed boldness, they prayed. When they needed strength, they prayed. With every need, they prayed. And as they prayed, the floodgates of heaven were opened up and the power of God fell upon them. And the power of God continued as long as the prayers continued. When the prayers ceased, the power ceased. We understand that. But do we also understand that as the power of God flows through prayer, that power is diminished and evaporates where there is sin among us. You say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. What about the church? What about the church? Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts in the New Testament, the New Testament church in which we are to reflect, they did something as simple, as simple as saying, yeah, uh, here's our offering and we sold our land for such and such and this is all of it. They didn't have to sell the land and when they did sell the land, they didn't have to give all of it. They could have given 10%. They could have kept the land. They could have kept it all. But they lied about it in order to be impressive in the eyes of others and as a result of that, both of them dropped down dead. Because it was so critical in that season that the power of God moved through a church and take off and take root and turn the world upside down, that God was not going to have the least bit of sin, even if it was something as simple as a little white lie, in order to look a little bit better. God wasn't going to allow that sort of behavior to perpetuate, to diminish His working and His power through His Spirit in the church. We understand that the power of God flows through prayer, but do we understand how the least sin, the compartmentalized sin in our life that we think nobody else knows about it will affect our church and our mission of praying for one another and seeing one another healed and reaching the lost and dying world? The church has so little power, not our church, but in general, the capital C churches have so little power today, A, because they don't pray, and B, because they tolerate sin in their lives. They're so concerned about the miseries and the calamities that affect them when that's really nothing in the grand scheme of things, and they're so indifferent about what they consider to be little sins, compartmentalized sins. And it is no small matter at all. Remember Ananias and Sapphira. So, if you would look with me in Proverbs chapter 5, we're going to fly through and continue to understand the high cost of low living so that we will come to a place where we have the wisdom to hate our sin. God loves us. God looks at his children as the righteousness of Christ. We can repent. We can boldly make our requests known. We can run into his loving arms. But we have to understand the high cost of low living in order to hate our sin. Because our sin is never just about our, our little personal relationship with Christ that we can always repent of in the morning because his mercies are new every day, which they are. But... Our sins are never about just us and God. It always affects others. Our personal, secret, compartmentalized sin devastates the momentum of the local church. It dries up the intimacy in your heart for the relationships in which you are designed by God to engage and be tender and intimate in. 
and it plants seeds and it grows. And the thing about sin, sin always, always takes us further than we thought that we would stray. And it holds us longer than we thought that we would stay. And it costs us more than we thought that we would pay. Without exception. Always. And as I mentioned this morning, they interviewed serial killers, common denominator. They didn't just wake up one day and decide to be a serial killer, a common denominator, denominator in their stories was pornography. It took them further than they thought they would stray. Held them longer than they thought they would stay. It cost them and others more than they thought they would pay. You can YouTube an interview, I think, by Ted Bundy about how pornography was a source of his um, distortion. And he said anybody he's ever talked to inside, pornography was the source of their crimes that affected others, that hurt others. Sexual offense has a common root. It's pornography. Um, When intimacy and marriages dry up, it's just gone. And you start pulling back the layers and asking questions and people start getting real. There's a common denominator. It's pornography. If you have teens, make sure that an app is on their phone called Covenant Eyes. I've recently put Covenant Eyes on my phone. It's a great app. It sends a report to your accountability Um, because if you cut sin off at the desire, at the first thought, then it never gives full, it never gives birth to desire. See, this is the wisdom of overcoming habitual sin, is that we cut sin off at conception. We don't wait till the desire is full-blown to the point of giving birth. Rather than the weight of the desire getting to the point of giving birth, we cut sin off at the point of conception. And so I really encourage you to put covenant eyes on your phone. Turn on the light switch under your secret sin so that Satan loses his grip on your life. So let's continue to look at the high cost of low living. Proverbs chapter 5. I'm going to fly through this, and then we're going to summarize this this, this morning because I think it's really critical. Uh, it's some, some action steps. And then uh, we are going to claim the promise that his mercies are new every day, and we're going to partake of communion, and we're going to repent of our sin with a real desire to turn from our sin, with a real desire to live, leave our sin as a matter of the past and a testimony of God's grace and move forward to walk in freedom again because it's for freedom that he has set us free. We are saved from the penalty of sin so that we can have dominion over the power of sin in our lives. Listen to this, guys. I am convinced to the very core of my being that there is not one habitual sin represented here this evening that cannot be shaken off And you can leave here in the freedom of Christ. But we have to have the wisdom to hate our sin. Because we understand the high cost of low living. So, let's continue to look at this. So, one. Understand the high cost of low living. Sin, all sin, is eventually disappointing. What is your habitual pattern? Don't shout it out. But, but do shout it out to your accountability partner. It is eventually disappointing. Proverbs chapter 5. 
And we look at verse 1 through 6. And what it does is it takes the sweetness in our life and it takes the sweetness of our blessings. And when it disappoints, it gives us bitterness where we once had sweetness. Verses um, 1 through 6. And we read, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a a forbidden woman drips honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter. Did you hear that? It's at first sweet, but in the end, it's bitter as wormwood, sharper than a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. She does not know it. Sin is eventually disappointing. It will go from sweetness to bitterness. Secondly, sin will cause us to go from gain to loss. Let's just continue to read. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor from gain to loss. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength. They take your strength. You go from gain to loss. And your laborers go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline. How my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructions. I am at the brink of utter ruin. In the assembly of the congregation. And it continues. Sin eventually is disappointing. And it takes us from purity into a state of pollution. Drink water from your own sisters. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be, some translations say, enraptured always in her love. The ESV says, be intoxicated always with her love. When we allow corruption and secret sins to enter into our life, it does affect, it robs the intimacy in marriages. It robs the intimacy and the things that we are supposed to be close to. When we allow secret sins and habitual sins a place in our life, we become scoffers and we lose our love for God and we begin to scoff at the things that we were designed to worship and we begin to desire in ever-increasing measures the things that we are to abhor and run from. And it goes on. Sin is not only eventually disappointing, but sin also, it it takes us to a place where we go from freedom to bondage. From freedom to bondage. Verse 21, 22, and 23. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his past. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. Did you see that word? It ensnares him. And he is held. Did you see that? He is held fast in the cords of his sin. 
For he dies for a lack of discipline. Again, sin always takes us further than we wanted to stray. It holds us longer than we wanted to stay. And it costs us more than we wanted to pay. In this particular case, it cost the young guy his entire life. And if it hasn't cost you your physical life yet, it does cost you spiritual life. So that you're not filled with the spirit of peace, joy, love, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You're not filled with spiritual vibrancy and spiritual life, and it could cost you testimonies, and it could cost you families, and it could cost you blessings. And it certainly costs you boldness, as we read in Proverbs this morning, that those who entertain habitual sins, they're scared of their shadows. Nobody's chasing them, and they're on the run. But those who walk in righteousness, when everybody's looking and when nobody's looking, are bold as a lion. And everybody can be attacking, everybody can come against them, but they stand firm because their confidence is in Christ. I've lived both ways. I've lived afraid of my shadow, and I've lived bold as a lion. And I know, as I mentioned this morning, one of the greatest apologetics, proofs, evidences, proofs that God is real and the Word is the Word, is you just walk in righteousness, and you have inner strength, peace, joy, love, and you're bold as a lion. You entertain something that's inconsistent with the character of Christ in your life, and all of that is diminished, it evaporates, it's gone. Sin is eventually disappointing. Not only that, sin is gradually destructive. Let's look at chapter 6, and let's look at verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandments, forsake not your mother's teachings, bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And how sad to step out of the will of God, to step out of the ways of God so that the word of God is no longer watching over you and protecting you. Because you've told God that you're going to go your own way and you've stepped off of his path of protection and watch care and blessing. It's God's mercy and his kindness that leads us back to repentance, the scriptures say. But if we persist in our habitual sin, then God will turn up the heat and that kindness that leads us back into repentance will continue to be the motive of kindness and love, but will turn into his fatherly hand of discipline to bring us back into repentance because Christ set us free not to be ensnared and not to be in bondage but to walk in freedom so that we can have close fellowship with him and it can be a witness to the world and we don't hinder the momentum of the local church it not only cost us God's watch care but it cost us finances Sin is always a bad business decision. Sometimes people's finances are perpetually frustrated. The sin could be as simple as neglecting their tithes and offerings to the Lord. And so their 100% is cursed rather than their 90, 80, or 70 being blessed. It could be something else. But sin is always a bad financial decision. Verse 25 and 26. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Well, what is sin going to cost you? That's the thing. You never know. You think you do, 
but you don't. None of us do. And it will cost. That's the word of God. And we read in verse 27. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So so it is with he who goes into his neighbor's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. We lose enjoyment. Verse 30. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. And he will give all the goods of his house. We lose our sense when we walk in foolishness. When you walk with God and you're walking in righteousness and you're having your daily time with the Lord, your, your mind has peace, your heart has strength and joy, your steps have purpose, and you're decisive, and there's a sense of wisdom about you. But when we entertain habitual sins or secret sins in our life, we lose all sense. Verse 32, he who commits adultery lacks sense, but he does it to destroy himself, and we lose peace. Verse 33, he will get wounds and dishonor and he will get disgrace and it will not be wiped away for jealousy makes a man furious furious, and this husband will not spare when he takes revenge and he will accept no compensation. He will refuse though you multiply gifts. Sin invites a lack of peace in our relationships. Sin invites dissension in our relationships. When I am walking with God, when I am spirit-filled, somebody can slap me in the face and they can spit on me, and I have the composure, I have the Christ-likeness to uh, turn the other cheek, to fight fire with water, to, to, to love those who curse me and bless those who curse me and love those who hurt me and mistreat me. I'm spirit-filled. I walk like Christ. When I'm not spirit-filled... Somebody can send me a text message that I misread, and I fire back something sharp and abrasive. And then the issue is no longer the issue. i got to spend the next two months apologizing for that message that I sent. And so it is with you. Sin in our life invites dissension into our relationships, and it robs us of peace. Sin becomes increasingly destructive. But before I read how increasingly destructive that sin becomes, let me just read to you that there is an, an alternative to sin, and it's walking in wisdom. My son, keep my words. Treasure up my commandments with you. Chapter 7, verse 2. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Wisdom is for you. Wisdom will cause blessings to end your life. There is a fruitfulness of wisdom. And call insight your intimate friend. And it will keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, or whatever your habitual sin might be. And so we continue into chapter 7. And we see that sin is ultimately deadly in our lives. It's eventually disappointing. It's increasingly, gradually destructive in our lives. But sin is ultimately deadly in our lives. Notice the pattern of this guy. He starts out by tempting himself. And then he, in tempting his own self 
finds himself in a situation where he's tempted by a woman who he just couldn't get away from her snare. And then he finds himself tempting God himself. So wisdom is talking and wisdom cries out in chapter 7, verse 6. Wisdom says, At the window of my house I looked out through my lattice and I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths, I see a youth lacking sense passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night, in darkness. You see what this guy's doing? It's like the guy we talked about this morning that didn't want to eat the donuts. And if there wasn't a parking place at the very front door, he wasn't going to stop. So after circling the place seven times, the parking spot opened up. He was tempting himself. And that's exactly what this guy's doing. He's, he's, did you see it in verse 8? He passed along the street near her corner. He took the road to her house. Just meandering along. He never thought it would cost him his life. But he tempted himself, and then he was tempted by the woman. He could have avoided the temptation of the woman if he didn't tempt himself. See, and so often times we're worried about road B, whatever that habitual sin might be, when really, yeah, we need to stay off road B because it's so destructive in our lives. There's a high cost to low living. But more so than road B, we need to be concerned with road A. What is that path that leads to her house? What is that path that leads to your habitual sin? We need to stay away from road B, but we better stay away from that road A that winds and meanders around to road B. What is your road A? It's imperative that you find out your road A. I, I hope that you do download that app on your phone, Covenant Eyes, or if you have com- the computer at home. I do pray that you have some accountability in your life because this is road A for all of us, entertaining the thought. And so if we don't even entertain the thought or let the thought go because we know that the sin isn't going anywhere, then we're not on road A, and that means that we'll never be on road B. So he tempted himself, and as a result, he was tempted by the woman. Verse 10, and behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner she lies in wait. He was on road A, meandering around, minding his own business, so he thought. But he was really entertaining his desires. But do you remember what we said earlier? In order to walk in freedom... We have to cut sin off at the point of conception, not wait until it's about to give birth in terms of our desires. And we do that by staying away from road A. He's meandering around road A, and now he's got this girl in front of him. Well, let's read in verse 13. She seizes him and kisses him. And with a bold face she says to him, and listen to her words. I had to offer sacrifices. Today, I have paid my vows. 
So now, I'm not get, this is graphic, I'm, I'm not going to get into it, verse 14, culturally, but uh, this is extraordinarily seductive. We go into verse 15. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, covered linens from e- Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, cinnamon. Come, let's take our fill of love till morning. Let's delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. You know, even if we were so foolish to meander around on road A and we found ourselves on road B and we find ourselves in a 911 situation like this, I mean, he's toast. He's toast. There is always a way out. The Bible says that. God will, in His grace, even if we were so foolish to meander around on road A and found ourselves on road B, God, in His grace, will always give you an exit sign. But here's the thing about the exit sign. It's a, it's a fleeting window of opportunity, and once you see it, you better run through it. Otherwise, you could stumble in sin and know this. No sin is secret. No sin is compartmentalized. No sin is without cost. And then... He finds himself tempting the Lord. Verse 21. With smooth, seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. And as an ox, as an ox he goes to the slaughter. Or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces his liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And here's the thing, we don't know what it's going to cost us. There's a high cost to low living, and we never get to choose what that cost is going to be or when we have to pay it. But God's word is true, and I can testify there's a high cost to low living, and none of us know what that cost will be or how high that cost will eventually be. It cost him his life. So, the writer of Proverbs continues. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray to her paths. Stay off of road A. Have accountability. If you find yourself in a habitual sin and you're addicted, and you were in a habitual sin and you are addicted, if you said, I'm never going to do it again, you did it again. I'm never going to do it again, I did it again. I'm sorry, God, I'm never going to do it again, you did it again. You're addicted. And it's got a hold on you. And you need to confess that to some brothers, if you're a guy, or some sisters, if you're a girl that you trust, who are spiritually mature, who are confidential, who will pray over you, and at that moment it loses its grip, and light floods into your heart, and you will feel so free. Jesus said in John chapter 8, Most assuredly, whoever sins is a slave to sin. Paul said in Romans 6, 16, Do you not know that whom you present yourself to, you're a slave to obey? You are that one slave. If you sin, you're a slave of sin leading to death. If you obey God, then you're a slave of Christ leading to righteousness. So let me 
quickly review this morning because I think that it has some really key practical application steps and then I'm going to leave you with one more application. I'm going to fly through this. And then my prayer is that we come down and, and have communion and, 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 and I hope that as we've been talking so far that, that if you're not walking in freedom, that that area of habitual sin has surfaced in your heart and surfaced in your mind and for you this is personal, it's for you it's practical with a particular sin. Whatever that might be for you. Habitual sin or sin pattern. So, the practical application steps from this morning were first, realize the high costs of our sin. And we've, we, we, we talked a lot about that this morning, we talked a lot about that tonight. Secondly, purpose in your heart not to sin. Tell God, I'm going to make a commitment, God. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to purpose in my heart not to sin. And if we can't get to the part, the place where we realize the high cost of low living to the extent that we purpose in our heart with sincerity, with zeal, with passion not to sin, that we've got a hard heart. And then you need to pray, oh God, break my heart so that I love the things that you love and I hate the things that you hate. Because here's the thing about sin. We are not just breaking a relationship, or we're not just breaking a rule, we're breaking a relationship. We're shaking our fist at the God who loved us and gave himself up for us. We're not just breaking rules. I'm a rule breaker by nature. The only reason I get my car inspected and the only reason that I stop at four-way stop signs in my rebellious nature, I am not a Some of you are rule followers. I am not. If a sign says wet paint, don't touch, I touch the wall. If a waitress puts a plate in front of me and says it's hot, I touch it. I don't know what, what it is about me. But the only reason that my car stays inspected is because I'm growing in maturity in Christ. And I want to stay submissive to the Lord and I want to honor the Lord with every area of my life. Even the inspection sticker on my car. Because here's the thing, we don't just sin. We impair, we wound our relationship with Christ. The one who loved us and gave himself up for us. And God is eternal and God is sovereign and God is big. But listen, Jesus said, I feel the earth tremble when just a sparrow falls to the ground in death. I feel that. I see that. I feel that. And you are much more valuable than a thousand sparrows, 10,000 sparrows. The rich young ruler walked away from Jesus and caused him sadness. Israel didn't repent, and as a result, Jesus cried over the city. Once sinner returns to Christ, the Bible says there is joy in the presence of the angels. Who's in the presence of the angels? Jesus. We worship Christ with all of our heart. It brings joy. Our faith brings delight. It's impossible to please God without faith. All that to say this. Our faithfulness or our faithlessness have the capacity to bring God pleasure or to break God's heart. This isn't just about breaking rules in in a book. This is about a relationship with a God whose ways are holy. He's otherly. You're otherly than your dog. When your dog vomits and then eats the vomit, you're otherly. You're like, I would never do that. That is so otherly. God is otherly than us. Holiness doesn't just mean really, really pure. Holiness means otherly. It's set apart. It's a whole different category. God is holy. 
And he looks at us in our sin as we look at our dog returning to its vomit. And when we enter sin, it impairs our relationship and breaks the heart of God. Purpose in your heart not to sin. One, realize the high cost of low living. Two, purpose in your heart not to sin. Three, establish relationships where you have no secrets. And if there's a danger area in your life, don't keep it hidden. What's the point of, of having a close-knit group of sisters in Christ? What's the point of having a close-knit group of brothers if you don't trust them and if you're not vulnerable with them? And the moment you are vulnerable with them, again, that sin, that habitual pattern loses its grip. If they love you and they pray for you and they encourage you, and they meet your confession with unconditional love and encouragement, and if you have the right brothers and sisters in your life, their experiences and their testimonies are perhaps something similar of how, of how they walked in freedom, and there's no condemnation, but, they don't, but, there's, but there's victory in Christ. And if you don't have those kind of relationships in your life, then I dare say you have a misunderstanding of what the church is all about. The church isn't about just a place that we go to, you know, and then maybe once or twice a year at Thanksgiving and Christmas, we, you know, we feed the, those who are less fortunate than us, and, and we do it year after year. We just go get entertained and do something benevolent once or twice a year. That's not church. Church is doing life together, guys. It's getting into each other's world. That's why we have home groups. That's why we have Saturday morning men and women's groups. That's why we have Wednesday night deeper. It's not just to take up your time. It's to one, for us to all to grow in the Word so we can grow in the character of Christ. But not only that, it's to grow in our relationships so that we can develop relationships where we can empower each other to walk in freedom. As we read in the book of Ecclesiastes, man, when two people and three people are walking like that, something comes against them, and it's not going to overtake them. They're going to keep walking with momentum. But woe is the person who stumbles, and they're alone. You know, they're a lone ranger, and they stumble. That person is just going to stay stuck in that sin and forever miss out on the fullness of anointing and peace and joy and life and purpose and passion and power and answered prayers that God has for them. And then, fourthly, resist the first risings. We talk about that. Let's cut sin off at conception, not wait till it is, as James says, the desire is full-blown and then gives birth to sin. Besides, Jesus defined sin at the point of desire, not action. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery, but I'd say to you, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her. With her, which means that girls just dressing provocatively, you've got to understand that guys are wired up visually, just dressing provocatively if you cause not dressing modestly, you can dress nice but and modern, but not dressing modestly, and it causes a guy to stumble. Jesus said, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her, so you have a shared responsibility in that adultery of the heart. Not even action, but of the heart. Um, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, don't murder. I tell you, if you're even angry with your brother without cause, you've committed murder in your heart. So sin isn't about actions. 
It's certainly about action, but even before that, it's about desire. So we have to cut the desire down at the point of conception by replacing our thoughts. Not just resisting them, our thoughts and desires, but replacing them with desires of what God wants to do. With praise for what he's done in our life. With promises that we're standing upon. That's how a young man keeps his way clean, by taking heed according to the word. And then, remember who you are. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is, Proverbs 1611, I gave you the wrong address this morning. No, 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 that's right. Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Remember who you are. You're the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So, we read in the book of James, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he must flee from you. Man, guys, I want you to walk in freedom. Tonight, tomorrow, this week, the week after. But we can't, we can't walk in freedom, though we have the capacity to, though we have the power to have dominion over sin in our life. There is not one, as I said earlier, there is not one habitual sin represented here today that cannot be overcome tonight so that you can leave here free. I'm all for 12 steps. I am all for AA. I am all for recovery centers. But listen, the Son has set you free. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. But you cannot walk in freedom as you continue, and I, as we continue to live in foolishness. We have to change some things about the way that we live. We have to change some things. We have to align our thought process and our actions with God's wisdom. And in summary again, one, the wisdom of God. Don't underestimate the seriousness of sin. Understand the high cost of low living. Two, purpose in your heart not to sin because you're not just breaking a rule, you're breaking the heart of God. And sin is never secret. Sin is never compartmentalized. Sin will always be found out. Jesus says that which is in secret will be made known. Sin is never compartmentalized. It always reflects, it always affects and diminishes your joy, your anointing, your evangelistic undertakings, the intimacy in your God-honoring relationships, the things that you're supposed to worship. The list goes on and on and on. Sin never stays compartmentalized. Three, establish relationships. You got to make time for those community groups. Our newest home group leaders, I'm so thrilled about Victor and Jennifer. They meet on Tuesday night. They're the most humble, encouraging, sweet, affirming people. And they're amazing hosts. They love Jesus. They love to pray for people. Tuesday night at their house, their house is off I-35, as far north in Burleson as you can be. It's kind of where Burleson and Fort Worth meet, 35, 1187. It's so easy to get to. It's a great place to build some relationships. You can encourage one another, share your burdens with one another, walk in freedom together. Um, The men's group, the women's group, Wednesday night deeper, whatever it is. But woe is the man, woe is the woman who falls. And we all will fall. But woe is the person who falls. And they're a lone ranger. Woe is that person. Resist the first risings. And remember who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. This is the gospel that we preach. We don't have to earn our righteousness. Our righteousness was given to us. 
There's positional, imputed righteousness. This is why we are saved. We are not just forgiven. We are the very righteousness of God. This is our position in Christ. This is the gospel that we preach here. The moment we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's not that our sins are simply forgiven and we're going to heaven. Our sins are forgiven and we are clothed in the very righteousness of God, an extravagant gift by God. That's the gospel that we preach. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't look at your sin. He sees your righteousness. He sees Christ's righteousness. He sees his gift of righteousness that he's clothed you with. This is our gospel that we preach. And you have to understand that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are not your sin. I believe that some people stay in their habitual sin because they believe the lie that they are their sin. No, child of God. You are the righteousness of God. You are spiritual royalty. Walk like it. Walk according to your calling. Walk in a manner worthy of the name that you bear, Jesus Christ, and the righteousness that he's gifted you with. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he must flee from you. Brent, come on up, buddy. And you guys can stand with me, please. We're about to take a, partake of communion. And in this communion... Um, I just want this to be very personal. This is between you and the Lord, and and you can go ahead and start playing. But what we're going to do is, you know, the Bible says in Corinthians, Paul says to the church in Corinth, some of you have gotten sick and died because you've partaken of communion in an unworthy manner. You know, and the reason that we don't see that as prevalent in our day and age, I think is because there is so much secret sin today in the church. There's so much compartmentalized sin in the shadows and the darkness that it's just, things have just grieved the Holy Spirit so much. But in the early church, man, in the early church, Ananias and Sapphira simply lied about the amount that they sold the land for just to impress a few people, just to get a few pats on the back. God struck him dead. It's because it was so critical that that church has spiritual divine momentum and they turned their culture upside down. It is just as critical today. It is just as critical today. We understand that prayer invites the power of God into our church. And here's the thing about a church like ours, a diverse church. The most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning. Churches these days are country clubs. Visit any church if you don't believe me. Um, Where the, the, the goal is to polish up and just look really sharp. Here's the thing about why Hope Works is so special. It's because we're an emergency room. We're a search and rescue operation. This isn't a yacht. This isn't a cruise ship. This is a battleship. And we're on a mission. And we're going after the spiritually lost, hurting, and hopeless. And I promise you, we're going after people that other churches say, yeah, we'll minister to once or twice a year, but man, we're not going to like invite them into the church. We'd lose givers. We'd lose donors. I could tell you about a pastor. If I told you the church that he pastored, um, you'd know the church. If I told you his name, you would recognize his name. And after our first church split, I was, during it, I was sitting across his desk, 
and I was telling him that we're going after the spiritually lost, hurting, and hopeless man, and they're coming to Christ, and it's taking people off because they thought this was going to be a country club, even though we said our purpose statement was to reach the spiritually lost, hurting, and hopeless. And here's what he said to me. He said, Shane, 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 we minister through benevolence. If our church dried up, man, the city would feel it. The world would feel it because of all the benevolence that we send out. And we do things like that once a year, but we go there. We don't bring them here. He said, if you keep in that course, you're going to sink the ship. Those were his words to me exactly. And I just said, if going after the spiritually lost, hurting, and hopeless in Fort Worth and beyond is an iceberg, then I'm going I'm to put it in full throttle and we're going to go into it, and I'm going to sink the ship, because if we don't do that, this isn't a church anyway, and it's a country club, and I don't want to be part of that. And he said, don't do that, man, don't do that. And I just said that to say, this church is special. Our mission is special. We are unequivocally, uncompromisingly, irrevocably focused on our mission. And it's the Great Commission. And givers come and givers go. And um, here's the thing. Praise God for that. Because you want to know how many giving units? When I talk with bankers, if we refinance, they ask us how many giving units we have. And do you, do you know what I tell them? I, I know what they're saying, but I like to give them kind of a heart attack at first. I say, we have one giving unit. Just one. And we're very dependent on this person. We try not to tick him off. We, we don't want him to leave. And his name is Jesus. That's it. We are dependent on one person. And he gives through many creative ways. And I tell them he's never late. He's never early either. <laughs> but, but he's never late. And he provides, always provides. All that to say, guys, this church is special. And this church is important. And this church is fulfilling our mission. And it's critical, it's critical that this church has spiritual divine momentum. But we cannot have divine momentum if we don't pray for our church and pray for one another. And guys, we cannot have divine momentum if we entertain secret sins in our life. If we have divine momentum while entertaining secret sins in our life, God's word is a lie and the whole thing is fake because God's word says that we can't. He says the two cannot agree. If we have secret sin in our life, God's blessing, shut up. It's critical that this church has divine momentum. The stakes are too high. Our purpose is too important. This church is too special. And if we can entertain habitual sins and still have spiritual momentum, God's word is a lie. None of it's true. We can't. And so, guys... Please, repent. Seriously, repent. Confess your sin to Christ. Turn from your sin. Don't go back to it. And if you keep going back, you've got an addiction. I've been there. But get accountability in your life to shed some light on that so you can walk in freedom. So with that, The bread represents the body of Christ that was broken. The juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed.
take the bread first, take the juice, and say, thank you for the cross, my friend. Jesus said, you're not just my servants, you're my friends. So partake of the bread, partake of the juice, and say, thank you for the cross, my friend. Thank you for saving me from the penalty of sin. And thank you for giving me power over sin. And I repent of my sin. Whatever that habitual sin is for you, repent of that. So uh, I'm going to invite you to come take the bread, the juice, uh, find anywhere. Uh, just spend some time with the Lord. It can be up here. It can be there. It can be in a corner. It can be back in your seat. Uh, you can do this together. But let's just spend some time with the Lord. As if we were on a treat by the lake, uh, you know, the campfire. Um, let's just spend some time with the Lord. Uh, so uh, come forward. The altars are open. And you just partake of this and just find a place to spend with the Lord.